Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. So we're going to be in the book of Proverbs today. So again, if you're joining us online, my name is Colton Tatham. I'm Journey's West Campus pastor. Uh, we're looking at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. So you can find that either on your Bibles or in your bulletin right there. So Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word this morning. Well, today we're going to be beginning a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs for everyday wisdom. Now, in the past 12 months, we've looked at biblical wisdom a few different times, actually. Last summer, you might remember that we delved into wisdom as one of the attributes of God. And in that sermon, we kind of looked at wisdom from more of a theological perspective. Then just a few months ago, we looked at what it looks like to walk in wisdom according to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in that sermon, we practically considered walking in wisdom with respect to our time, our worship, and in the Holy Spirit. Even so, God's Word has much, much more to tell us about wisdom for everyday life. So my hope for us in this message today is that we'd learn to read the book of Proverbs for all it's worth. And then throughout this series, we'll practice reading and applying different parts of Proverbs together to discover God's wisdom for our lives. So kind of as a precursor, this message is going to be a little bit more on the teaching side today in order to help set up our applications later in this sermon series. But before we can talk about the book of Proverbs, we first got to talk about the movies. You see, when you get asked, what's your favorite kind of movie, most of us, you know, reply with our movie genres, unless you're my wife and you just say Harry Potter and Pirates of the Caribbean. But, you know, for those of you who know me, it's probably not a surprise to many of you that I really like the sci-fi and fantasy genre. Uh, If you know Pastor Mark Dodd, who's our uh, counseling and care pastor, he's really into the horror genre. So uh, make sure you bring that up in your counseling with him. He'll love it. And anyone who knows Pastor Mike Bickley realizes he's a huge fan of romance and musicals, right? No, not really. Mike's more of an action and a war movie guy, um, and he's so much so that he's actually got a replica of the Braveheart sword, you know, on display in his office. It's kind of cool. Now, the chart behind me um, shows the popularity of different film genres from 1910 to 2021. And more precisely, it shows what percentage of movies each year were of a particular genre. So in the course of about 100 years, this graphic shows us that different genres increase and they decrease in popularity. 
Some genres stay consistent in popularity, and some genres have fallen out of popularity. Uh, for example, in the 1910s through the 1950s, less than 5% of movies made were a part of the horror genre. But today, more than 10% of movies today are considered horror films. You know, if you look carefully at romance, almost 25% of movies were considered romantic films in the early 1900s. But today, almost 25% of movies are actually documentaries. In terms of the most popular film genre of all time, though, this chart tells us that after the Great Depression, comedy films, year after year, continue to be the most popular to make. So if you're a comedy fan here, just raise your hand. Any, any fans of comedy? All right, well, you guys are more popular than the rest of us, so good for you. So you're, you're, you're you know, part of the big bandwagon of comedy film fans. Good for you. So I'm the loser with sci-fi and fantasy. So, but, you know, at this point, you might be wondering to yourself, you know, Colton, why are we talking about the movies? Well, the reason we're talking about movies is because genre matters. Genre matters. A movie's genre is what sets our expectations before we watch the film. A genre lets you know what kind of themes or plots or the artistic intent is in the film that you're about to see. And when you see a comedy, you expect awkward situations, ridiculous characters, and clever dialogue to make you laugh. When you see a thriller, you expect plot twists, stunts, suspense to give you an adrenaline rush. And when you sit through a documentary, you sometimes expect to fall asleep. Anybody uh, you know, fall asleep in documentaries? There we go. We got one person who's honest today. Thanks, Michelle. So again, genre matters because it prepares our expectations. And just like the movies, the Bible is full of different genres. So here are a few of the major genres in the Old Testament. These include law, prophecy, historical narrative, and poetry. Old Testament books written in the style of law include much of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. They contain divine commands, prohibitions, and instructions from God to his people. When you read, thou shall, or thou shalt not, such as in the Ten Commandments, then you know you're reading biblical law. Prophecy is something that we actually looked at last week in the book of Amos. But other major prophecies include the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, and many more. Prophecies, different kind than law, they contain direct messages from God that were spoken or written through an appointed prophet. These prophets often describe visions or visual allegories to help their readers understand the gravity of God's message to them. So when you see, thus says the Lord, you know you're encountering biblical prophecy in the Bible. Now the history and poetry genres are perhaps a little easier for most of us modern day readers to understand. Historical books like Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, and King provide us with narrative accounts. They're, they're stories with beginnings, middles, and ends. They, they tell of wars and tragedies, celebrations, miracles, and much, much more in ancient times. And when you're reading about what God's people did or what God did for his people, then you know you're reading historical narrative in the Bible. Now, the best-known collection of poetry 
has got to be the book of Psalms. It's 150 chapters long, and biblical poetry is usually worshipful, artistic, and contemplative in nature. It usually calls us to ascribe to the Lord and to reflect upon the wonders of God and all His works. But there's one more genre in the Old Testament that's a pretty big deal, and that's wisdom, wisdom literature. The wisdom books, there's three of them, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs. And what wisdom literature does is a little different than the others. It tells us how to live like this in all kinds of real-world situations. For instance, when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're shown many different ways one could live his or her life according to the world. In Ecclesiastes, a king, a preacher, indulges every kind of lifestyle and tries out every sensible philosophy that there is, but he ends up dissatisfied with all of them. That is until the end of the book where the reader is instructed to live like this, with reverence towards God and while turning away from all the vain pursuits and empty promises of the world. Then, in the book of Job, we're invited into this cosmic debate regarding the nature of suffering and evil in the world. In the beginning of the book, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan proceeds to bring about every possible calamity he can upon Job. But Job refuses to recant his faith in God's goodness, even when his friends are trying to convince him that he's done something wrong. At the end of the book, God restores to Job all that was lost. Thus, Job shows us how to live like this in the midst of very real suffering and loss on this side of heaven. All in all, the wisdom genre in the Bible explores how to live well in God's world. In Hebrew, the word for wisdom is kokmah, and kokmah doesn't refer to one's intelligence or knowledge. Rather, the word kokmah literally refers to skill. That means biblical wisdom isn't about acquiring lots of facts and acquiring lots of advice. Biblical wisdom is all about learning how to live skillfully in God's world. In other words, the wisdom genre isn't in the Bible to make our brains bigger. It's not there to make your brain big with the accumulation of knowledge. No, the wisdom genre is in the Bible to help teach God's people life skills for living life to its fullest. It shows you and me how to live like this in all kinds of real-world situations. But even among Job and Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs stands out as especially unique. And that's because the book is a huge collection of short, simple sayings. But if we try to read these sayings as if we're reading a different genre, for instance, if we try to read them as law, thou shall, or thou shalt not, or prophecy, thus saith the Lord, or even historical narrative like a biographical account, then we're likely to misunderstand these sayings in Proverbs. That's why it helps to read them with the right expectations. And that's why genre matters. 
So what kind of expectations do we need going into the book of Proverbs? Well, if we want to read the book of Proverbs for all it's worth, then we need to recognize some important biblical trends in wisdom literature. And to do this, I just want to share with you three trends to remember throughout this sermon series. First off, Proverbs gives us principles, not promises. In the Bible, principles represent general truths, values, and virtues that we should cultivate in our lives. But promises are ironclad. When God makes a promise, he guarantees he will fulfill it. So when Jesus promises to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, then we better believe it. But if we take that same line of thinking about God's promises in the way that we read the Proverbs, then we're going to misunderstand them. For example, let's look at Proverbs 11.8. It says, the righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. Now, if this were a biblical promise, it'd be saying that when you live righteously, then God will deliver you. But we know that that's not always true. No one was more righteous than Jesus Christ. Yet Jesus walked into trouble all the time. He was tempted by the devil. He was threatened with stoning at one point, and he was eventually crucified for the sins of the world. Now, does this mean that Proverbs 11:8 is lying to us? Well, if you're reading this saying with the wrong kind of genre expectations, then yes, you might arrive at that conclusion. But when you read it with the right kind of expectations, then we already know that biblical wisdom isn't presenting ironclad promises. It's presenting principles that are generally true for a full life. You see, it's generally true that when you live righteously, then you will have less trouble in the world, and when you live wickedly, then you will walk into trouble more often. If you're an honest, hardworking nurse or doctor who genuinely wants to save lives, then you're probably going to have less trouble in your life than someone who's a career criminal or a drug dealer. So again, biblical wisdom is about principles, not promises. Yet a second trend we see in Proverbs is that biblical wisdom is also about patterns, not specifics. Wisdom literature in the Bible is not usually concerned with all the specific details in a situation. Now, some of us here have probably met a what-if person before. So what is a what-if person? Well, a what-if person is the kind of person who likes being the devil's advocate in every conversation. They like to focus on those minute details and the exceptions to a given topic of discussion that the rest of us just aren't thinking about. And you know, sometimes the new perspective the what-if person brings can be helpful. Other times when they go on and on and on about all the what-if details, it just gets kind of annoying. When we read biblical wisdom, we need to remember that it does not present all the what-if-this-happens scenarios. Instead, it focuses on the major patterns of life that most of us experience. 
Another way that we might put this is that biblical wisdom is concerned with what's most probable to happen. It's not concerned with the minutia. It's not concerned with exceptions to principles. It's concerned with probable patterns. But why is this? Well, the reason that this is the case is that you and me are invited to read biblical wisdom remembering that life is too complex for simple formulas. Again, you're invited to read biblical wisdom remembering that life is too complex for simple formulas. Some of us, by nature, are kind of more detail-oriented, and we might prefer it if God told us exactly what to do step-by-step in every situation that we face. But the reality is that life is too complex for that kind of instruction. For instance, my wife Kristen and I were thrilled when we were called by Journey Bible Church to help start Journey West and here on the west side of Olathe. But, you know, we never thought that we'd be launching this new campus while having a baby that was born 16 weeks early. Learning how to care for our son, Cade, while he's in 24-7 care at the hospital, as won't lie, it's certainly been a challenge at times. It's a challenge that the Bible doesn't necessarily give step-by-step instructions for. You know, unfortunately for me, I can't just flip to the proverb about premature baby while church planting. Like, that just doesn't exist in the Bible. Now, as a congregation, you've all been super faithful to step up and to support our family, and for that I'm really thankful. But, you know, my point here is that biblical wisdom is intended to give us simple patterns to follow not specific instructions for every conceivable circumstance. So no matter how much you might long to live a simple life, things are going to happen that are going to make it complex. You might suddenly lose your job while things are going well, or you, know, you might find out instead that you know, of expecting one child, you're expecting twins or triplets, or you might find out that you're asked to quickly move to go help a relative on the other side of the country in need. Life is always in flux. But here's the beauty of Proverbs and why we need to read it. When life is complex and overwhelming, the last thing anyone wants is a complex and overwhelming solution. There's peace in simplicity. Proverbs provides us with that kind of simplicity from God's Word so we can experience more of God's peace in our lives. Proverbs offers us simple, wise sayings that anyone can learn. And the wisest people are going to apply those simple principles and patterns to all the difficult, messy, unexpected, complex, and broken situations in their lives. So if we want to get the most out of Proverbs, it helps that if we remember that biblical wisdom is about principles, not promises, patterns, not specifics, and lastly, skills, not advice. This last one is hugely important. There's a big difference between developing a life skill and searching for good advice. In fact, the word advice only shows up three times in the book of Proverbs. 
We're told that it is a good thing to listen to advice and to seek advice in Proverbs, but we need to recognize that finding advice is not the same thing as learning or training up a skill. The book of Proverbs is not God's good advice collection. The book of Proverbs is God's wisdom manual. It's like a coach instructing us how to develop our skills by applying God's truth that he's learned to everyday life. Now, a lot of people compare the book of Proverbs to fortune cookies, and I actually think that's a pretty good comparison because the sayings are short, simple, and easy to remember. But I don't know about you, but I've gotten all sorts of bizarre fortune cookies over the years. You know, most of them are pretty harmless statements. You know, they're about honor, wealth, success, yada, yada. But, you know, sometimes you get one that has a word that's misspelled, that's just weird or doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I got to say that one of the strangest fortunes that uh, one of my friends got one time simply read this. It said, don't do drugs, period. That was it. It just said, don't do drugs, period. Now, I can't deny that this is excellent advice. I mean, don't do drugs is something that we should all probably take to heart. But it's certainly an odd statement to find in a fortune cookie. I mean, it kind of makes you, what's so special about the chef's special sauce? And personally, I don't know if I want to be ordering Chinese food from a restaurant that's warning me not to do drugs and it's cookies. You know, something about all that just feels kind of wrong. But my point here is that when you're seeking advice, you never really know what kind of recommendation you're going to get. You know, the quality of the advice giver might be helpful. It could be harmful. It could be wise, it could be foolish, it could be bizarre. It's not a bad thing to seek advice. But again, seeking advice is not the same thing as training up a skill. You go to a wise friend or a mentor for advice, but you go to a coach to get good at a skill. So in some ways, the book of Proverbs may feel like reading this huge collection of biblical fortune cookies, but just remember that the sayings aren't there for you and me to take under advisement. These aren't God's suggestions for a better life. These are God's instructions for a wiser and fuller life. God gives us the book of Proverbs so that we can put real biblical wisdom into practice. Now, by way of review so far, It'll help us to get the most out of Proverbs, again, when we recognize it teaches God's principles, not God's promises. It shares simple patterns to follow, not detailed step-by-step instructions. And its purpose is to develop real-life skills, not just to suggest good advice. Now, what I'd like to do next is take a look at some of the key features in the book's introduction. So if you have your Bibles or bulletins, let's go ahead and look there again at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. You know, there's one commentator who shows that here in this section we find a title, a goal, and a motto in these verses. Verse 1 tells us the title. It says, quite simply, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 
This first verse here actually corroborates one of the historical books in the Old Testament, and that's 1 Kings 4, which tells us Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, and he also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Many of these sayings he wrote are contained in the first 29 chapters of the book of Proverbs. For those of you who may not know who Solomon was, he was the third king of Israel after King Saul and King David. And Solomon was famous for completing the construction of the first temple in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he became the wisest king in all the land, so much so that people came from around the world seeking his counsel from God. But the interesting thing about the book of Solomon, or sorry, the book of Proverbs is, is that Solomon isn't the only author. There's actually a few others. Uh, for instance, chapter 30 records the sayings of Augur, son of Jekka. And the cool thing about Augur is that his sayings serve as a model example for how to read the book of Proverbs. Chapter 30 begins with Augur giving a bold confession. And his bold confession is simply this, I'm foolish, I'm stupid, and I'm unwise. He practically says, I'm unteachable. But then in verse 5, Augur declares, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Augur's point is that it doesn't matter how smart you are or how knowledgeable you see yourself as. Anyone can gain true biblical wisdom, not just King Solomon. Anyone can grow in wisdom if they recognize their own shortcomings and their pride, if they genuinely believe God's word proves true, and if they're willing to take refuge in God's word rather than in human words. This is the path to wisdom that Augur teaches and models in chapter 30. But there's one more notable author, and that's the author of chapter 31. This chapter records the sayings of an unknown king named Lemuel as taught by his mother. And this is a very special part of the Bible because chapter 31 contains the God-inspired words of a woman to her son. Lemuel's mother proceeds to instruct him in wise leadership and in justice, which is then followed by the ideal depiction of the woman of God who is practicing biblical wisdom. What's unique about the last verses of Proverbs 31 is that it's written as an acrostic wisdom poem in Hebrew. And unfortunately, we can't translate that acrostic form into English, but each verse about the woman of excellence actually begins with each successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, the final verses of the book of Proverbs are a Hebrew alphabet poem depicting a woman of biblical wisdom. While God did indeed inspire King Solomon to write the vast majority of Proverbs, there's a reason that chapter 30 and chapter 31 are also in the Bible. Augur portrays a humble man as the model for reading Proverbs. And Lemuel portrays a wise woman as the ideal outcome of practicing Proverbs. Biblical wisdom stands in stark contrast to worldly wisdom. For instance, when you think about all the ancient philosophers, you know, mostly old dead guys come to mind. 
Plato, Sophocles, Aristotle. Yet in Proverbs, wisdom is not personified as a man, but as a biblical and godly woman. And that's something really special. And this should remind us that Proverbs is absolutely for everyone. So if Augur gives the reader the model, and if Lemuel gives the reader the ideal outcome to strive for, then what was King Solomon's goal for the Proverbs he wrote? Well, if we look back at chapter 1, it tells us Solomon's goal right there. Verse 1 gives us the title, and then verse 2 summarizes the goal of the book. If you look there, it says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So here we see the goal of Solomon's Proverbs is really threefold. It's to know wisdom, instruction, and insight. It's quite simple. We examined wisdom or kokmah earlier in our message, and that's to know wisdom means to, you know, develop skill in godly living. Wisdom is skill-oriented. It requires training. To know instruction, though, means to know discipline in godly living. Instruction is obedience-oriented. Instruction requires putting what you've been taught into practice and then developing the discipline to follow through. And then lastly, to know insight means to know discernment. Insight is decision-oriented. It requires us to discern our decisions, to choose between what's wise and what's unwise according to God. Now, as I said before, Proverbs isn't intended to be overwhelming or complex. Quite simply, the goal of the book is to help us grow in wise living, disciplined living, and discernment in living, all for the glory of God. So if you're humble, and if you've got passion to develop your skills, your discipline, and your insight, then no matter who you are, Proverbs can help you grow in godly wisdom if you truly put what it teaches into practice. Now, before we can get to the book's motto, which is introduced in verse 7, I first got to talk about Scooby-Doo. And yes, that's right, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo is a talking dog who travels around spooky places in a mystery machine with a gang of eccentric teenage detectives. The plot for the TV show sounds like it was concocted out of the 60s, and that's because it was. Um, the the, today, the show is kind of a classic in pop culture, but the first episode was released back in 1969 when words like groovy, jinkies, far out, and jeepers creepers, I guess, was still a thing. What's helpful about Scooby-Doo is that the characters are all simple archetypes for a fun kid show. You have Fred, and Fred is the leader. You've got Daphne, and Daphne is the damsel in distress. You have Velma, who does all the real work in solving the mysteries. And then you have Shaggy and Scooby, and they're that classic comic relief duo. In just about any book you read or show you watch, the creator bases its characters on cultural archetypes. Sometimes these types are simple and they're easy to recognize, and other times they're complex. It all depends on the creator. When it comes to Proverbs, even though the book is not a classic story with a beginning, middle, and an end, it too has archetypes. In fact, Proverbs presents archetypes to follow and archetypes to avoid. In the first few chapter, or sorry, in the first few verses of chapter one, 
we're initially introduced to four of these archetypes. We're introduced to the wise and the prudent, which we should follow. And then we're introduced to the fool and the simple, which we should generally avoid. Again, the wise character type in Proverbs is someone who skillfully applies knowledge from God's Word, but the prudent character type is a little different. Prudence is a word in Hebrew that has to do with being sensible. A prudent person is a common sense person. They're someone with street smarts. They've got enough sense to realize when another person is trying to pull one over on them, and they're shrewd enough to act in a way that protects their reputation. One of my favorite prudent proverbs is Proverbs 14, 15, which says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Now, the simple character type isn't always presented as bad. As I said before, you know, there's a peace in simplicity, but what's kind of meant here by the simple is that at other times there are people who, you know, maybe aren't so unintelligent, it's just that they're naive, they're ignorant, they're untaught and prone to quickly believe something that's too good to be true. This is the simple type in Proverbs. And then lastly, we've got the fool. Nobody wants to be the fool in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The foolish person is someone who uh, completely detests the skills, the discipline, and the discernment required to grow in godliness. If the wise is the good guy, the protagonist of Proverbs, then the fool is the bad guy. He's like the villain in Proverbs. It's one of the reasons why Proverbs 14, 7 says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. So now that we've looked at the title, the goal, and some of the character types we meet in Proverbs, let's bring this message to a close by reflecting on its wisdom motto in Proverbs 1, 7. Again, if we look there, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This motto here is special because it shows up in Job 28.28, it shows up in Ecclesiastes 12.13, and it even shows up in the New Testament. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What this motto reminds us is where the starting place for knowledge and wisdom really is. There are all kinds of different wisdom traditions in the ancient Near East, but what sets Proverbs apart from all of them is that it doesn't start with human achievement or some kind of secret knowledge. Rather, wisdom in Proverbs starts with God. So what exactly is it to fear the Lord? Well, despite the very literal English translation here, the word fear doesn't always have to do with terror in the Bible. The word fear in Hebrew can also convey reverence, piety, or respect. So verse 7 isn't saying, be afraid of God because that's the beginning of wisdom. No, the Lord is not some scary monster from Scooby-Doo. Rather, fearing the Lord means you revere God. When you're letting God be your highest authority of all matters, then you're truly at the beginning of knowledge. Everything else is a path to foolishness. So here's a question that you can ask yourself 
to see if you're truly fearing the Lord in the way Proverbs intends. Ask yourself this, just think about it. Do you revere God enough to let him determine right and wrong in every aspect of your life? Do you revere God enough to let him determine right and wrong in every aspect of your life? Fearing the Lord is a moral mindset. It's a moral mindset where you humbly acknowledge that God is the one who gets to define good and evil, right and wrong, and wisdom and foolishness in your life, not you. Unless you're willing to submit every aspect of your life to God, then you may as well just stop at verse 7 because you're going to get the rest of Proverbs wrong. But if you're willing to revere God, worship God, trust God, obey God, and serve God, then Proverbs will transform you. It'll transform you with the true wisdom of God. Someone who embraces the fear of the Lord cannot not be changed by the word of the Lord. So what does it look like for us to apply the fear of the Lord throughout our study this summer? Well, first and most importantly, you've got to align yourself with Jesus Christ because he's the master of Proverbs. Wisdom, prudence, justice, righteousness, and godly living all culminate in the Son of God. So when you're reading Proverbs, always be asking yourself how each saying directs you to the life, ministry, and words of Jesus himself. Without Jesus, you only get so far with Proverbs. Proverbs is full of godly wisdom, but it's Old Testament wisdom that anticipates a New Testament Savior. There's no better wisdom teacher than Jesus, so don't forget to invite Jesus in. Now, a second way that we can apply the fear of the Lord for the beginning of knowledge is quite simply to practice Proverbs. Don't just read Proverbs. Practice Proverbs. You don't grow in wisdom simply by knowing Proverbs. You grow in wisdom by knowing Proverbs and practicing Proverbs in your life. You see, a saving faith in Jesus Christ doesn't automatically make you wise. Jesus can still save someone who's living foolishly. His own followers made plenty of foolish decisions from time to time. But if you want the kind of peace that only comes from the wisdom of God, then you've got to be willing to exert the effort to put Proverbs into practice. You know, if you're having trouble controlling your tongue, then find some Proverbs about self-control in your speech and start putting them into practice. If you're having trouble with jealousy, finances, lust, or whatever else it may be, do the same thing. Find a few Proverbs on whatever it is you're facing and start putting them into practice. And one final thought here for applying the fear of the Lord is to remember that wisdom is God's gift to you to give to others. Wisdom truly is a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful gift because it's like getting a foretaste of heaven that you don't have to wait for. God's wisdom provides the best path to the greatest joy, peace, and satisfaction even in a broken world. And that's because wisdom is full of principles for today, not promises for tomorrow. All the best gifts from God aren't the ones that we just keep to ourselves, though. 
the best gifts are the ones that we share with others. So as we look to our Savior Jesus as the master of wisdom, and as we strive to put wisdom into practice, don't forget that part of the joy of wisdom is teaching others how to grow in wisdom too. So with that said, let's pray to ask God to bless our pursuit of wisdom this summer. Father God, we acknowledge that you are the true beginning of knowledge. Lord, every other starting place is foolishness. So God, please forgive us, Father, for searching for wisdom in all the wrong places. God, help us to honor you as the highest authority of heaven and earth. God, guide us by your Holy Spirit to walk in step with Jesus, whom you sent to show us the way of wisdom and the way of salvation. It's for his name and your glory that we ask you bless our study of Proverbs this summer. And all God's people said, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.